And now the prayer of illumination. I invite you to join me in our prayer. Let the good news come now, O Lord, not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Amen. All right. So I have two today, two two prayer uh, uh, topics today. And I'll be um, working from the... um, the Pew Bible, so that we're all on the same page, literally. And if I don't like these, then I've got the stack of old ones. So, all right. So, all right. All right. So, um, the first one asks about Genesis one twenty nine and Genesis nine three. So let's go ahead and take um, a look at those. So the 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 question. Um, uh, comes out of those. So why were we not permitted to eat animals in Eden? All right. So Genesis 1, that's going to be on page 1, probably. Ah, ah off by two verses. So Genesis one twenty nine. listen for God's word to you. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. Okay, I'm going to read the next verse too because it says something about animals if you've got a question. It says, And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. So to us we have plants, and to animals we have plants. They have plants. All right, and then... Um, uh, Moving on to chapter 9, verse 3. That is on page 7. Um, So I'm going to read, uh, there's actually another verse that follows. So chapter 9, verse 3 on page 7. Every moving thing, uh, Moses is, um, not Moses, Noah. God God has blessed Noah and he is... um, Telling Noah, kind of, here are the the new the new uh, um, uh, rules here to guide you in the post um, in, in the world following the flood. So, what does he say? He says, "Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants. I give you everything. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood." Um. Uh, so, um, so. With that context, you see what, what the, the movement there that's going on is in the garden. In, in the time of our innocence, people ate plants. And in the, um, in the, uh, um, in the period after the flood, uh, in the, um, the world in which the, the greatest sources of wickedness have been swept away. But as we see, as we read the story of Noah, uh, wickedness has not. So, um, so in that era, uh, there is food from, uh, the animals become, uh, food. Or they already have been and now they continue to be. I'm gonna, I'm gonna add one more to this just in case. I'm, I'm actually curious. Um, whenever I'm reading about Eden, I wonder what does the scriptures tell us about, um, the city of God. So I'm gonna turn to, um, to, uh, chapter 22 of the, the last page. So, or second to the last page. So, um, so, uh, uh, he is having a vision of the, of the new heaven and the new earth, uh, the seer. 
And he says this, so chapter 22, um, uh, the, in the book of Revelation, thank you, page 269, go, go to this page at the end of the book. Um, 260, you're right, better glasses. All right, so 260, all right, and he says this, on either side um, of the river, this is verse, uh, verse 2, um, there's, there's the river of, of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed would be found there, um, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. So there's no more mention of eating, but the only the only thing that is seen in in this vision of the um, the new age to come is fruit from a tree. So I would say that that is uh, maybe perhaps the same uh, general uh, line of thought. Uh, so the question now is why why were we not permitted to eat animals in Eden? And I will tell you with great confidence that um, the Bible doesn't say. <laughs> um, so, you know, why questions are hard. Um, uh, let, me, let me back up, okay? In between these two is, is a passage um, that we kind of zoom past because it's only three or four verses. So turn to page three um, of Genesis. Um, so the, the story of... Um, uh, Cain and Abel. So Cain and Abel are after Adam and Eve have been um, ejected from the garden. Okay, So the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. This is chapter 4, verse 1. And she next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of the flock their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his countenance fell, and he goes on to murder his brother. He's so angry. So um, it's interesting that, um, that as soon as they're out of the garden, not even, not even um, after the flood, but as soon as they're out of the garden, people are killing animals. Um, and uh, that God looks with favor on the offering of the um, the animal sacrifice and not on the offering of grain. Um, so so why is that? Um, I don't have an answer on the subject of people eating. I have I have a better answer maybe on the subject of God's what makes the sacrifice acceptable to God, and that is that that God wants um, God wants the sacrificial system to um, look forward to anticipate the coming of Christ. And so God requires the best that people have um, and something that is dear to them. So he says, um, he says the, the, grain, the grain you already have, I've given you the food for fruit, um, but, uh, but your animals um, are more dear to you. So he wants those for a sacrifice. And by doing so, uh, by, by having sacrifices from animals, he um, he is able to communicate the value of a sacrifice. That ultimately a sacrifice is a is of high value. Later on in the in the story, as we read as we read the story of the people of God, we see that they actually sacrifice both grain and um, uh, animals. 
that there are grain offerings, um, there's oil offerings. So basically, the, the sacrificial system comes to include all kinds of produce. Um, but it begins right here with an offering of, of uh, an animal. And that's offered to God um, as, a, as a sacrifice to, to um, uh, in a way that somehow is more, more acceptable to God than the offering of the plants. So I would just say um, there's, there's a lot of questions here and maybe some subjects for prayer, but um, I, don't see, I don't see an answer to the question. If I was going to try and um, establish a policy based on um, these teachings, I would say you're probably better off being a vegetarian than a, than a um, meat eater. Um, and uh, I say that with great knowledge that I am a meat eater. So, um, so um, I, I excuse that part by saying um, that... Uh, that as Christians, you know, one of the things, I'm going to go off on a tangent, but I'll, I'll land the plane, I hope. Um, one of the things that Christians struggle with is if I'm having trouble with something, if I'm having trouble with an area of my life, what should you do about it? You know, what do you owe me if I'm struggling in a particular area? And uh, basically the answer is nothing. That, that they, can, they can help you out of charity, out of out of a, out of mercy, but you cannot make claims on them. So one of the problems the church has historically had is it said um, there's public immorality, and you can pick whatever kind of immorality you know bothers you. And if only we would clamp down on that and make that forbidden, then I wouldn't be tempted in that area. And whether it's eating meat or whether it's you know lewdness or whatever whatever other things people have struggled with down through the ages. Um, we say there's an external force that can make me behave. And uh, what Christianity says is the law cannot heal you, that ultimately Christ has to come into your heart and heal you from the inside. So the law can make you behave. And so there are certain applications of the law. We don't let people murder. We don't let people steal. But ultimately, can they make you be a better person? So, for example... Um, if, we, if we are to reason from the, the passage of, of Genesis, if we're to reason from here that eating meat is bad, what are we to do as Christians to, um, well, wait, what are we to do as citizens for, uh, in light of that? Should we uh, promote uh, legislation that outlaws eating meat? I would say as, as, as citizens you can, you can vote for whatever you want, but if you do, I wish you would not bring the church into it. Because, because I think what Christianity teaches is that, is that the law does not save us. That if it's wrong, um, then, then we have to say it's wrong in, in terms that non-Christians would also agree are wrong. So, um, so, uh, now as Christians, what do we do if, if there's somebody who's struggling? Well, charity requires us to help people. We're required to be merciful people. We're not required. Jesus shows us an example of being merciful people. So if somebody is, um, is struggling in the area, in a particular area, then, um, then we're to be merciful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expand one more scripture on this because I've talked enough that it reminded me of it. Um, turn to Romans, the book of Romans in chapter 13 and 14. Um, Paul is talking about, uh, so this is page 163 in the back section. So I'm going to read a, a longer passage. Um, 
Paul says, this is chapter one, uh, chapter 14, page 163. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. And he goes on to talk more about um, uh, various types of legalism. But the idea there is there are people whose consciences compel them to eat meat. Uh, you can imagine a, 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 a Christian who had been an, um, from a, a, one of the polytheistic religions, um, and they feel that they have to eat meat because they want to show that the, the God that it, at the temple where it was sacrificed has no control over it. So they might say, I need to eat that meat. And Paul is saying other people are also saying at the same time, no, that's exactly why I can't eat it, because it's tainted. It, it smacks of polytheism, and I don't want any part of that. And Paul is saying, that's good that both of you are living by your conscience. Don't sneer at the other person's conscience. So he says that, that people who are free to have, to have their conscience inform them about their behavior. And then there are areas, as I mentioned before, there's areas murder and robbery and so forth, where society gets involved and says, no, you can't do that. Uh, it's not a question of conscience. It's a question of civil order. So so Paul says, um, do not pass judgment on the servants of another. Um, it is before their own Lord that they will stand and fall. So long long and rambly answer. I don't know the answer. Um, I, I don't think... Um, it's not because what God wiped away in the flood all sources of wickedness. If you were to argue that, that eating meat is wicked, um, that would actually argue, in, th- th- that, would, that would speak in that same direction. Because we see as soon as, Mo- as, soon as Noah gets out of the ark, he immediately gets drunk, right? So, so <laughs> the fact that, the fact that um, yeah, so, you know, so, which also shows that, that fruits and vegetables can cause problems too. Um, so, so it, you know, it's like, how long did it take for the wine to ferment? But, but it was apparently very quick. So, um, so the wickedness did not go away, right? So God, God wiped away all the source of wickedness, but, but basically what God is doing there is he's saying, this doesn't work. You can't wipe it away because it's deep inside of us. And so the, the sacrificial system points to Christ, and ultimately Christ is the one who makes us clean. So, all right. That's one. All right. The second question is this. Oh goodness. Okay. What? Okay. L- l- let me just read it, and then you can add to it. Okay. So the question is this. Okay. Did you already ha- had you written this before I mentioned the thing? Okay. All right. God is at work. Okay. All right. Like every day. All right. So the question is this: What does the Bible say about the role of women in the church? A fellow I was fishing with goes to a Lutheran church here in Anchorage. He said that women can't vote in his church. Okay. Um, so um, I'm trying to find a passage. Um, so I mentioned, I, I actually got help from um, Tom Wright, N.T. Wright. He, this is a very approachable book. The commentary is less so. Um, so um, he was talking about, I'm trying to find this. So he's talking about, um, it's in, it's in uh, Timothy. And it's um, it's a passage that I had not um, 
heard um, explained uh, that same way before. Um, first of all, uh, let's 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 take your question. All right, all right. There's time. We can do a better job than I'm prone to. All right. So, what does the Bible say about the role of women in the church? Okay. So I can't find that passage very quickly. Maybe it'll it'll appear. But um, let's do this. Let's do a couple of things. Turn back to Romans. So I want to show you. Um, so Romans chapter 16, page 164. Okay. And while you're finding that, I want to say about about um, other Christians. You know, we just prayed for other congregations in our neighborhood and around the world. We don't do that because we agree with them on every topic. We do that because we believe that they are Christians and they are laboring um, uh, by their best lights about um, what God is calling them to do and be. Again, uh, different people have different um, uh, consciences. The people's consciences are stirred differently. I'm sure there are people in the, the Lutheran, um, the uh, it's probably Missouri or Wisconsin Synod Church, um, that are, that are uh, conservative in this area, and they're saying that there's a complementary role for men and women, and men's role is to be the leader, and women's role is not to be. So um, I would say um, people should follow their conscience. They shouldn't, they shouldn't stick their finger up in the air and see which way the wind is blowing and say, even though God is calling us in our hearts to do X, we're going to do the opposite of X. So God bless them. Full stop. I don't want to criticize them, and I'm sure that Presbyterians and Methodists have many things they could be criticized for by Missouri Synod Lutherans. So um, let's all try to love one another. Having said that, now chapter 16 of um, Romans, Paul says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church at, however you pronounce it, Kincrei, so that you may welcome her in the Lord as fitting for the saints and help her in whatever she may require from you. For she has been a benefactor of many and myself as well. Okay, so he mentions a woman who has a ordained position in the church. In the Presbyterian, I don't know the Methodist history in this regard, but in the Presbyterian church, the um, uh, women were not allowed to be ordained until about a hundred years ago. Is that right? Because we celebrated the seventy-fifth, fiftieth, and hundredth anniversaries or something. I'm looking at my polity person, but she's looking back at me blankly. So anyway, it's been a while, but it hasn't been that long. It hasn't It hasn't been 2,000 years. It's been like on the order of 100 years. So um, the Presbyterian Church has had restrictions as recently as 100-odd years ago that were more strong than the, the restrictions they had in the church in Rome, that they did not allow women to be deacons. But, but read on. So chapter, uh, verse 3, um, he says, Greet Prisca and Aquila, who work with me in Christ Jesus and who risk their necks for my life and whom I give not only thanks, I not only give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So he mentions these two people, Priscilla, Prisca, and Aquila. Uh, Prisca is um, the wife of Aquila, and he mentions her first. And um, that's probably says more in the first century than it does today. Today, you know, I guess it proper form on an envelope is still to say Mr. and Mrs. John Smith or Mr. John Smith and Mrs. Sally Johnson, right? Uh, but, um, but I don't know where that comes from, but, but in the first century, it was stronger. In the first century, the man would very much have been listed first, and Paul specifically mentions Priscilla first. So that says that 
he thinks of her in a higher status of some sort, and we can only guess what that status is. And then he goes on um, um, in chapter, uh, continuing, uh, verse 5, Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert in Asia for Christ. Greet Mary, who has worked hard among you. Greet Andronicus and Junia. And if you've got this open, you can see there's a little footnote there, M. Okay, Junia. My relatives who were in prison with me, they are prominent among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. So then you go down and look at the footnote, M, and it says, or Junias, other ancient authorities read Julia. So there's different manuscripts that say, poor old Junia, um, they could not countenance the idea that Junia was a woman, and so they just added an S, kind of like we might change, you know, uh, Norman to Norma or something like that, where we just go, well, that would doesn't make any sense at all. So, so scribes during the thousands of the whatever fifteen hundred years before printing, um, scribes as they made those copies, they would say, well, that can't be right. Let me just add an S to Junia's name. But Junia is there's no evidence in the first century of anybody being named Junia who was not a woman. So Junia and her um, uh, husband Andronicus, um, Paul says. They they served in every way that Paul did, right? They even went to prison with him. And then he says they are prominent among the apostles. So um, so I would argue uh, Paul knew that women could serve in the church in significant roles. So um, uh, exactly what that meant to be prominent among the apostles, I don't know, but apostles is a pretty high title. So, um, so can women serve in the church? Um, I think Paul says yes, and... No offense, I've already said no offense to the, to the Lutheran church, right? I don't know them, and, you know, I'm glad they're doing what their conscience calls them to do, but I'm going to go with Paul over tradition. So, um, so I wish I could find this passage in, in 1 Timothy. Um, I think it's in Timothy. Is it in 5? Um, uh, I can't find it. Um, so this this thing it was just fascinating, um, and it's an example of why you have to why this doesn't work, why you have to do the you have to do the work, you have to go consult the scholars who've done a lot of reading and a lot of, sometimes archaeology. Um, uh, he's talking to Timothy, and he's talking about um, uh, can women be women should be quiet in church, and um, he's saying he's saying that first of all you've got to you've got to go look up and see how that word quiet is used elsewhere right so don't just use don't just pick it it's convenient for us to say women should be quiet in church he says let's go look that up and let's see the way it's used elsewhere and um, i'm doing this from memory so so exactly the opposite of what he said to do but if you do that what you find is it means it means that they may um that they may rest that they don't have to carry on a particular role okay that they can be still okay and he contrasts that with the the letter that he's writing this to is Ephesus. Ephesus had then and still has. Uh, I've actually seen it. It's one of very few Bible places I've seen. Um, uh, it has a great gigantic temple to uh, to Diana or Artemis, and um, that was the prominent feature of Ephesus. And that is a female cult. All of the there are no priests at the cult of of Artemis. It's all women, and so what. And again, this is something we know, but I had not seen somebody put together uh, before. He was saying, in a city where all the people in the, the, the religion that people think about are women, 
He's saying, in the church, they don't have to serve. They have to at the temple of Artemis, but they don't have to serve in Christian worship. So he's saying, first of all, that there is a there's a historical understanding that was contextualized to that city because of this super big... I mean, you, I, I'll have to bring a picture of it. Um, this gigantic temple, it's a huge temple um, to Artemis, and all of the leaders, I mean, all of the people who, who participated in the worship at that church were priestesses. So he's saying that this is not like that. But this word, to be quiet, to be still, can also mean um, to participate in learning. So if you think of the story of Mary and Martha, that we often think of that as, as Martha is buzzing around, you know, making cookies or whatever, and Martha is sitting up, you know, staring at Jesus going, ah, and he's saying, no, the, the word there is not somebody going, ah, but it is somebody who is, who is listening to their teacher. And so he's saying that women have all the, the access to the roles of people in the church that, um, that men do. So, and, and then he goes on in places like Ephesians where he says there's no more, uh, Jew or Greek, um, no more, um, slave or free, no more man and, and woman. So, um, so I would say that our bias should be toward egalitarianism uh, rather than complementarianism. It doesn't mean that's always the case, but I would say that that's where we should start. And then if we can reason our way from scripture to a different perspective, then we can do that. But I would start with an, with a bias toward, um, toward, uh, uh, people having equivalent status, equivalent roles, um, in the church. Um, in the case of the Presbyterian church, deacons, it was deacons, elders, and pastors in that order. And I think it was, this is about five years, my memory is about five years old, but I'm going to say it was a hundred, so 105. It was 75, so 80. And 55 years now that, that women have been, have, that you can ordain women as pastors. So, so this is something we're, we're coming up to speeds on. And so maybe the Lutherans are, um, are only 50 years behind us. And maybe we're 50 years out ahead of where we should be, you know. I mean, but we should follow our conscience. Whatever God is calling us to do in our hearts, we should, we should, um, we should, we should be willing to be persuaded otherwise. We should not get rigid and say, you cannot convince me this is a, this is a, a fact. We should say, like Martin Luther famously did, he said, if you can persuade me from the clear meaning of scripture that I'm wrong, I'm open to being convinced. But, um, other than that, I'm going to stick with what, what my conscience calls me to do. So, um, so. I've lost the page. Wherever wherever your question is, I don't. I think I've answered it. Maybe. All right. First Timothy two. Okay, thank you. Since I'm supposed to be preaching from the Word, I'm going to actually read that passage, and then you'll know what I was talking about. Second Timothy two. Okay. First Timothy two. Okay. And again, I haven't done this work. I was just. Uh, uh, I saw Tom Wright talking about it, so. Um, so the second half. Okay, so he says, um, he says, women should, so this is uh, page 208, starting in verse 9, that um, also the women, uh, says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray. So again, picture of Ephesus, men are not allowed to be any part of the public worship in the temple of Artemis. He says, men should pray. Lifting up holy hands without anger or argument, 
also that women should dress themselves modestly and decently in suitable clothing, probably not what was going on at the temple of Artemis, not with their hair braided or with gold, pearls, or expensive clothes, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess reverence for God. Let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I permit no woman to teach her to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. For Adam was formed first and Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So um, that latter part, uh, Tom Wright did not talk about, so I will be quiet. Um, so, but, but the reason is because, like you, probably I can say, well, that's pretty obvious. And so was the other part until I heard more about the Temple of Artemis. So um, I will do some more work on that. And um, next time I'm talking about Paul and Artemis, uh, Paul in, um, in Ephesus, I'll have an opportunity to bring that up. So, all right, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Lord God, um, you know, oh God, that, that a book cannot bring us to you that ultimately we rely on your Holy Spirit to close the distance. A book may stir our hearts. A book may may make us wonder. Um, but even the Holy Scriptures cannot by themselves bring about true faith. Only you working through your Holy Spirit can do that, Lord. So um, as a preacher, Lord, I am grateful that I am not alone up here, that uh, you take my words as they land in people's hearts and you correct them to the words that you would have them hear. So, Lord, I give you thanks that um, that even in this um, impromptu setting that you are at work. And, Lord, I pray that you would um, uh, speak in people's hearts. And if, if, um, if my words were not what they needed to hear, Lord, that you would continue to work in them uh, um, so that they can, they can um, take from this, this uh, meeting today um, a word from you that answers the deepest questions of their hearts. And I pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.